So I'm excited to share with you a story today. If you have your Bible or the phone, uh, you know, where you can look up a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. And, uh, you know, over the last few weeks, Christmas season, we've been talking about this idea of, of wonder, right? How do we become full of wonder? And some of the characters around Christmas showed us how to do that, right? Simeon says, you believe the promises of God, you can experience wonder, The wise men said, you remain curious, keep asking questions and you'll find wonder. The shepherds, they teach us that if you let God surprise you, he'll show us wonder. And last week we talked about John. John said, if you can love people and love well with the love that comes from heaven, then you'll find wonder. The question I want to ask today, though, as we look to the new year, is how do we keep wonder alive? The light has come, but how do we let the light keep shining? Because that's the multi-million dollar question, right? How do we continue to walk in this way that God has outlined for us? You know, some of uh, the kids that we know, they'll have got this new cool toy for Christmas. And they wanted it and they waited for it and they were excited about it and they played with it for a couple of days. And then the question becomes, how do I keep the kids interested in this same So I want to share with you this story that happens a few years after the Christmas narrative when Jesus is turning 12. It's like the only insight we have into Jesus's life between his birth and his ministry. Let me give you a little overview of the story. It was Passover time, which meant that all families needed to go to Jerusalem to celebrate and to worship. And so Jesus is turning 12. He goes with his mom and dad. They have a great time. And mom and dad leave the city. And they're about a day away from the city. And Joseph asks Mary, hey, how's Jesus doing? (laughs) And Mary asks Joe, and and then the other way around, I thought he was with you. And they have this, oh my goodness moment. And so they go to the city and they see Jesus and he's in the the temple and he's worshiping God. And uh, it's just a scary moment for them. But as we pick apart this story, their story isn't too dissimilar to ours, right? They set off with good intentions about raising this kid, about raising the Son of God, and then something happens that trips them up and they realize that they've really messed up. How do you keep shining? How do you keep full of wonder? How do you keep doing the right thing when some of the messiness of life happens? I was thinking if we were to like make a video of this story, a TV show, what kind of genre would it fit into? Part of it would be uh, a comedic Saturday night live skit because there's so much crazy stuff going on. Part of it would have the drama of a soap opera. But the reality is I think that this story integrates and teaches us how to integrate faith and hope 
and wonder and love and the things of the gospel into everyday life. So let me jump in and I want to pull out four things that I think happen in this story that can give us um, uh, uh, guidance to keep wonder alive. Let me read the first couple of verses too. It's Luke chapter 2 starting at verse verse 44. Every year... Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Within this verse is pointer number one about what we have to do to keep wonder alive in the new year. The verse starts with the phrase, every year, which tells us that they were in the rhythm, in the routine of doing something. The verse ends with the phrase, as usual. That's telling us that what they're doing, they have done before. The first thing that I want to encourage us with, if we want to keep wonder alive and love alive and light shining is that we need to develop some staples, some customs in our life that we keep doing because they remind us of who we are and why we do what we do. We need to develop some customs in our life. For Jesus and his family, this was a custom that they did every year. It was one of the Jewish laws that if you lived within a 15-mile radius of Jerusalem, you had to go to Jerusalem. If you lived beyond 15 miles, the, 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 the laws were relaxed a little bit, but you had to go to Jerusalem at least once in your lifetime. It was a custom to go there and to celebrate Passover. It was also a custom that every Jewish boy, when they turned 12, would go to celebrate that and be bar mitzvahed as uh, still happens today. It was a, a custom, a rite of passage, that at 12, a boy made this journey from being a boy to becoming a man. He took on the whole um, obligations of the law in that moment. It was a custom that existed in this society. If we want to keep wonder and love and light alive, we need to develop some customs in our life. It was Bethany's birthday a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, same day as Mike's. And so we sat down to talk, hey, what do you want to do for your birthday? What do you want to do with your friends? What kind of gifts? All that kind of stuff. And we planned out this, you know, this, this kind of journey for a couple of days celebrating her. And every idea, you know, I just see the price tag rising and rising and rising. I think, okay, that's it. We're done. This is the party. <laughs> We've planned it out. We know where we're going. We got your birthday planned. The day before her birthday, she says, when are you picking up my cake? And I'm like, Cake! <laughs> I knew there was something that was missing. 
And I realized in that moment that having cake on her birthday had become a custom for her. And in some ways, it was the cake that added meaning and depth to the birthday, right? If we want to keep wonder and love alight alive, we need to develop some customs because customs help us remember what's important, right? I, I did a wedding yesterday out in Daytona. And I got into this conflict with the photographer because I don't like when I'm doing weddings for photographers to be like sticking the camera up my nose, right? Because I think it ruins the sacredness and intimacy of the moment. So before the service started, I went to him and said, hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm thrilled you're here. But I'm going to draw this invisible box around the front where I would rather you didn't come into because this is sacred space. He looked at me and said, sir, I've been doing for weddings for, for, for 27 years, which didn't, didn't really impress me. <laughs> but, but, he, but he was trying. I said, I know what I'm doing, and I need to come closer than that to be able to capture the memory we had a discussion, and I said it a lot nicer than this. But I'm like, if I don't have my sacred space where they can make their vows without you distracting them and everybody, if I can't have my sacred space, there isn't a memory to be captured, <laughs> right? Because the marriage ceremony is a custom that we've built into our society that reminds us of what's important. And, and if we ruin that moment, then his memory isn't going to be that great. If we want to keep wonder alive, if we want to keep love alive, if we want to keep the light still shining, we need to develop customs in our life that help us keep doing the right thing. Because the wonder fades and the light dims and the love grow cold. And we need to develop some customs that keep us coming back to what's really important. What are some of the customs that you are going to create in your life this year? that can keep the wonder and the love and the light alive. Now, I, I've had a love-hate relationship with customs over the years. In fact, there was a period in my life when I walked away from the church completely because I hated all the customs. The customs became empty for me. But now as I get older, I see the value in customs that I understand and that mean something because they remind me of what and why. What customs are you going to develop in your life? Because customs help us to remember what's important and why we do what we do. Secondly, verse 43, after the celebration was over, they had Passover, then they had a, uh, another seven-day festival. It was a major festival. They started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, just to throw Mary and Joseph a bone, they did forget their son, but Jesus stayed because he wanted to. 
And again, you know, we hear this story and we're thinking, why isn't someone calling DCF? Right? They forgot their son. How irresponsible is that? And it was incredibly irresponsible. They felt so bad about it. But, but again, the dynamic of this traveling perhaps gives them a little bit of grace. Because people in those days traveled in uh, caravans in large groups. It was safer like that. What's that? Like a Dodge caravan? No. (laughs) And there were two caravans, apparently. There was the female caravan, and then there was a male caravan. And this is what one commentator said. I will not comment on it. But he said the the female caravan went first because they took a little longer getting to the destination. I'll just leave that out there. That's what one commentator said. I have no additional comment to add to that. And then there was, <laughs> there was the male caravan, right, that would come a little bit later, be a little bit more um, efficient, as one commentator says. So this is what's going on, right? Jesus is 12. 12 years old is the bridge age when you, you can be a kid and a man, right? So in Mary and Joseph's defense, right, Mary's thinking, oh, my boy, he's 12 now. He's a man. He'll be traveling with the man. Right? And Joseph, being a man, (laughs) is thinking, oh, he's still with his mom. Maybe next year he can travel with us. Right? So they both travel, and they travel about a day, and then the two caravans would meet up at night to, you know, share stories and eat and and all that kind of stuff. You can imagine the scene when the two caravans, these big extended families, get together. Hey, Mary. Hey, Joseph. Uh, how, how, was, how was your journey? Oh, it was good. How's Jesus? I was going to ask you, how's Jesus? <laughs> and they get, they get panicked, right? Have you ever been there? I, I remember, um, this doesn't sound right, but the first time we lost Bethany. <laughs> yeah, the first time. We were at SeaWorld on that big climbing frame. And, and you, you know, yes. I know, I know. So I'm sitting down and she's like, and I just can't do it. And I turn away for a minute. I'm looking at my phone or something. And the next thing I know, she's not there, right? And the next 30 minutes, 30 seconds, (laughs) the next 30 seconds, the next minute, it feels like an eternity, right? And I'm wanting to close down the park. I'm wanting Amber Alerts, the whole thing, because, because it's a horrible feeling, Right? Remember the first time we did it to Jonathan? It was actually when we were meeting at the school as a church. I thought Jonathan went home with Tracy, <laughs> and she thought that he went home with me. So we're inside. We're unloading the car. She's making lunch, and we're like, Jonathan, lunch is ready. <laughs> I mean, it was a good 10, 15 minutes later. <laughs> and we had this, oh, my goodness. So I ran out, jumped in the car. Bless him. He's walking back from church, pulling that little cart that we used to carry things around on. <laughs> right? But, but we know that, that feeling, right? You can imagine how Mary and Joseph felt, not just because they'd failed as parents, but because they were looking after the Son of God as well. So do you ever leave him home alone? Huh? Uh, yeah, now he's a you know very resourceful child. We 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 help teach him that by by forgetting him. <laughs> but that would have felt like an eternity, right? 
And so they run back to Jerusalem. And bear in mind, they've been traveling for a day. So that's another day back. And then the scripture says that they spent three days looking for him, right? Their hope had gone up and down, up and down. And every minute, they're scared out of their brain. They're beating themselves up. They, they can't stand it. But even in that, they teach us a lesson. And I think the lesson that they teach us, if we want to keep wonder and love and light alive, is that we need to not forget what's most important. As I reflect back on those times when I've lost our kids, the reason I lost sight of Bethany was because I wanted to check a soccer score on my phone. Right? That's important to me. But it's not as important as her. Right? The reason that I forgot Jonathan at church, right? Because I want to get home and I wanted some lunch. And that was important. But it's not as important as my son, right? And I think if we want to uh, keep wonder alive and love alive and light alive, we have to make sure that we are prioritizing most what is important. We have to pay more attention to what is essential and what is to what is necessary. We have to figure out ways to keep before us the most important. What so often happens in our life and the reason we mess up and lose wonder and lose love and lose light is because we prioritize secondary things. And if we want to keep the things of God alive, we have to prioritize God in our life. If that slips, everything slips. And wonder drains and love dims, and lights go out. First thing this story teaches us is that we have to develop customs because customs remind us what's important. Second thing it teaches us is we've got to prioritize the things that are important, <laughs> which, by the way, is people. <laughs> and if you're Mary and Joseph, it's Jesus, right? And if you're a parent, it's, it's your family, it's your kids. 44, they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers. Jesus was listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answered answers. Just note that while Mary and Joseph would have been freaking out, Jesus wasn't. <laughs> we don't get the impression at all that he was phased by this. He was sitting and listening and learning and taking it all in. And he was in his element there. And there's a good little reminder there, right, that when we freak out this year, when we get worried, we get nervous, we think we've, we've lost something important to us, when wonder is dying, when light is getting dim, when love is fading, Jesus is still okay. He's safe, and he's strong, and he's confident, and he's in control, and he's not phased. You know, one of the promises that is so dear to me, and I keep repeating it to myself time and time again when tragedy happens, is just to say, Jesus knew about this, and he knows what's going on. And because he knew, and because he knows, we don't need to get phased either, 
right? The parents were freaking out, but Jesus was consistently the same. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to this? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. That's probably the toned down version. (laughs) You can probably imagine the mother's tone as she scolds her child for putting her through this. It's a very interesting dynamic to be scolding the Son of God, right? Because is she suggesting that Jesus had been disobedient? Well, I think she is, but I'm not sure Jesus was disobedient. He was just, just absorbed and focused on, on something else. 49. But why did you need to search, he asked. Man, if I'd have said that to my mama, if I got lost, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. This is very amazing what's happening here. First of all, as Jesus is in the temple, all the teachers were amazed that what Jesus was learning. And it says as well that his parents were amazed as well. That they didn't know what to think when they saw Jesus. The third thing that I would suggest we need to do if we don't want to lose wonder or light or love is we need to keep ourselves open to the possibility of being amazed. Next week, the kids will go back to school. Next week, we'll get on a regular schedule again. And it's really easy in that to become complacent. To become bored with it. There are more suicides in January than any other month of the year because people realize that they have to go back to a routine. They have to go back to the grind and keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. But in the midst of the grind, in the midst of that routine, let's open ourselves up to the possibility of being amazed. Note as well in this verse 49 and 48, what it was that kept Jesus amazed. His mom scolds him and says, your father and I have been looking for you. Note in your Bible, that's a little F father. She's talking about Joseph. Jesus' response was, didn't you know I would be in my father's house, capital S, F. How do you spell? (laughs) Capital F. Mary was hurt because of what Jesus had done to her and Joseph. But in this moment, Jesus reminds them that Joseph is just a foster dad. Right? Because he has a different father with a, a capital F. They're talking about life on here, and he's talking about his God up there. 
And I think if we want to keep being amazed as the teachers were, as Mary and Joseph were, we have to focus more on the capital F, Father, rather than the things of this world. Does that make sense? If we want to keep wonder and love and light alive, this is what this story teaches us. One, develop some custom, develop some routines in your life that keep you coming back to what's important. Secondly, prioritize people. Don't get so self-consumed that you neglect that the people around you aren't with you anymore. Thirdly, continue to be amazed and be amazed by prioritizing the capital F, Father. Verse 51, finally, then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things up in her heart. A couple of thoughts on this verse. It's amazing that if Jesus had turned from a boy to a man, he was learning who his heavenly father was. He knew that he was a child of God. He knew that he was a son of God that just had this little who's your daddy debate. And it said, God is my father, but knowing that God is his father, he submitted, he was obedient to his earthly mother and father. This was a pattern in Jesus' life. In John 15, just before he's going to the cross, it says this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. He's right up here. He knows exactly who he is. But in John 13, from there, he goes to serve and submit himself to the disciples as he washed their feet, right? Here, he says, God is my Father, but I'm going to obey you. And there's something so beautiful in what is happening here. He's saying, hey, I've got all this power. I've got all this authority, but I want to use it to serve you. There is a truth in Christianity that we look at each other and say, I am your slave. I am your servant. I want to help you. I will be obedient to you. But at the same time that I am your servant, you are not my master. And I can only be your servant because he is my master. If we want to keep wonder and life and love alive, we develop customs, we set priorities, we develop opportunities. And we set aside some time for reflection. It says Mary treasured all this Stuff, all these things in her heart. These words that are written here when Jesus is 12 are exactly the same as what we read about Mary when Jesus was a baby. She treasured these things in her heart. In those years between 0 and 12, there was a, probably a ton of other stuff that she treasured in her heart. When Jesus was 12, and at this story unfolds, she treasured these things in her heart. And I imagine she did that for the rest of Jesus' life. Because that kept her growing. And that kept her processing. And that helped her become better. And most of all, that helped her to trust God. 
And that's the final thing that I would say if we want to keep wonder and love and light alive is make sure that you set aside some time to reflect. Where am I? Who am I? What am I doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? So many people just drift through life And normally when we drift through life, we drift in the wrong direction. And the need to stop and reflect and to treasure things in our heart is one of those things that will keep wonder alive. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all people. What that tells us is that this little uh, lost child incident didn't scar him. He grew taller physically. He grew mentally. He grew spiritually as he developed favor with God and he grew relationally with all people. And I think that's the prayer for us this year, right? Maybe that we don't grow physically. I think probably most of us <laughs> need to shrink <laughs> a little. But he grew in wisdom mentally, and he grew in his favor with God spiritually, and he grew with people relationally. How do we do that? Well, we develop customs, and we set priorities. And we create opportunities for amazement. And we set aside time for reflection. If we want to keep wonder alive and love warm and light shining, in 2019, we develop some customs. We set our priorities. We create opportunities. And we plan for reflection. Reflection.